The Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew, the 25th chapter. Jesus said, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne before him. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these my brothers, you did it to me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty, or a stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them, saying, Truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. This is the gospel of the Lord. Jesus said, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. During the Reformation, we know what all of the hot button issues were. We set aside a Sunday to commemorate it every year. We know that justification by grace through faith was the ground on which the Lutherans planted their flags and all of the rest of the Protestant churches, and right next to it, the authority of Scripture. Well, those get a lot of the airtime when we speak about them, but there were other issues too, other things which divided us from the Roman church. One such thing was the reception of what we call both kinds in the sacrament. Up until the Reformation, the laity were only given the body of Christ, the bread, the host, and the cup was reserved for the clergy. And Lutherans said, well, the Bible says take eat and take drink, so that means everybody. And there was also the issue, of course, probably more widely known than that one, about the marriage of clergy. There's no Bible verses that inhibit the pastors in the church from getting married and having families, and so, well, we fixed that one too. Right away, Luther set the example with Katharina von Bora having his own family. And there's a third issue, though, and actually many more, but a third one for my point this morning, and that was that of monasticism, having nunneries, and monasteries where people would go off and live a secluded life, cut off more or less from the cares and worries and work of everyday living. Now, it must be said, and the reformers would have said this themselves, there was good things that came out of the monasteries in the centuries leading up until the 16th century when the Reformation happened. You have, through the work of many countless monks and nameless monks, the preservation of not just various texts from the ancient worlds, which they themselves would copy and keep in their libraries, but you also had the preservation of the scriptures themselves. 
When you have these groups of people living by themselves that want to serve Christ and his church, well, you can do a lot of good things, and indeed they did. And then, as well as now, you'll find many of these people doing wonderful works of charity. I have some family members that are associated with Franciscans, and they do great things in their community, to be sure. But of course, there was also some problems, which is why it became an issue during the Reformation, something that Luther cared deeply about. In many of these monasteries, it became hotbeds of carnal vice, where people would simply do things that were not allowed by the scriptures to keep it rated G for the purposes of this sermon. But that wasn't really Luther's biggest problem. He certainly noticed that and knew of it from his own experience. But there was also this. In monasteries, people would be neglecting their vocation. Now, we often think about vocation in terms of a job, right? If somebody goes off to vocational training, it's like job training. He's going to be there for six weeks or three months or whatever it's going to be, and he's going to come out and probably make double what somebody with six years of college makes, at least in today's economy. Well, that's what vocation means to us, but really the deep theological meaning of vocation is a calling from God to something that you can't abandon, to something that you can't turn away from without it being a sin. Okay, so an occupation you can change, and many of us here have done that before. You've had a job, you get a better job that's a completely different job, and you take it, and you move from the one of those jobs to the other, and guess what? You haven't sinned in doing that. Probably. <laughs> you've done nothing wrong in moving away from this one sort of work to another. You've just changed your occupation. A vocation is something that you can't get rid of without it being a sin, okay? So I have a calling from God to be a husband and a father to the people in my family. That is my vocation. And if I were to wake up one day and said, I don't want to be a husband or a father to these people anymore, well, they're, they're leaving now, so maybe it's them, it's the other way around. <laughs> if I were to wake up and do that, that would be a sin. I would be sinning by abandoning the people that God has placed in front of me to love in my life. And that was the problem with these monasteries. In many cases, not all, but many cases. Back then, they did not have the social safety nets that we have. Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, and things like that. And there were people who would have their parents that needed them, not just to live with them, but to care for their every need. And they would go off and join the monastery instead. And they would say, well, you know, <laughs> be warm and be fed. I'm going to go live this life secluded, sequestered, living a life of devotion to God instead. This is a problem we see briefly in the Gospels. If you remember, there were Pharisees that were doing a similar thing and they were more or less leaving their parents to fend for themselves in their old age and saying, well, whatever I would have given to them, I'm actually giving to God. It's Corbin was the word. It's not a big deal. And not only is it not a big deal, it's a good thing because I'm living my life for God instead of my parents. These were problems then during the gospel times, problems during the Reformation, and yes, it's still a problem today, but it's a problem in a different way. Technological advances, whenever technology develops or something new is invented or comes along, it's always a double-edged sword if you stop and think about a particular thing. Even the really obviously good ones, I think, are true. Sometimes there's a blessing or there's an obvious blessing of it, 
And there's also, if you look closely enough, a downside or even a curse, if you will. Communication, technological advances, is no different. Technological advances that we've had in how we communicate with one another. In the first place, it has been a blessing in particular for the church. All of these communication means which have come along and been developed over the last several years and centuries. The obvious one, again back to the Reformation, is the printing press. Right? You've probably heard of Johannes Gutenberg and the Gutenberg Bible. You see, before the printing press, if you wanted to have copies of something, you had to have a bunch of people who were willing to copy down the words that you read to them, and then they would read and copy it down to other people. That's how you had it, just copying it out by hand. Imagine doing the Bible that way. Well, that's where we get all of these manuscripts that we have of the Bible, and how we know it is, in fact, one of the most unified texts of the ancient world. But at any rate, they did it by hand. But then the printing press came, and then the Reformation soon after, and all you had to do was put the letters in, pull the press down, and you have a sheet. And you could do that as many times as you had sheets and ink, and literature exploded. And along with it, the gospel and the Reformation being spread through the printing press, quick and easy. Well, it was a few more centuries after that that the next technological communication advancement came on, And probably just outside of the lifetime, I guess, of most of you here, but your parents and grandparents certainly talked about the advent of radio. You had this little box in your living room that could receive transmissions from somewhere, a different place, and all these people in their homes could hear music, speaking, the news, and the like, all from the comfort of their living room. A few decades after that, of course, along came television. You could put pictures and a screen to what you were hearing. And then finally, even in my lifetime is when it only came along, the internet as well, which has completely blown the rest of these away as far as what it can do. But my question is, with all of these technological communication advancements and all of the good that they have done for the church, which they have been, the church has always used these things. In fact, really quickly as an aside, A lot of you probably remember the name Walter A. Meyer and the Lutheran Hour speaker. People who were not Lutherans, who never darkened the door of a Lutheran church, would listen to him on the radio, giving the gospel, preaching the gospel, and Fulton Sheen did the same for the Catholics, and the radio was this great means of communicating the good news of Jesus Christ, later on the television. By the way, I'm not sure if any of you knew this, but the Missouri Synod actually had a TV show for about 30 years, from the 50s to the 80s, called This is the Life. Look it up when you get home on the internet, if you want to. And the internet, of course, there is there to spread the gospel. And these things have been blessing, but my question is, have these things also contained with them collateral damage? Have the communication means of the gospel also had unintended consequences for their use by Christians? The answer, I think, is an obvious yes. What has been used to spread the gospel in these means of communication is now often, I'm sorry to say, misused to enable an isolated individual form of Christianity. Okay, now, in the Bible you have, in the New Testament, this sort of problem is there even at the very beginning, all right? Paul has to address it in Hebrew, saying to them, don't be like some 
who have neglected meeting together. Don't be like those that don't come to church. It's a problem and he has to say not to do it. Right? There's always been for various generations in various ways the sense of me, myself, and Jesus is how people think of Christianity. Not me in the church, not me with fellow believers gathered, but just me and the Lord, we are going to do our own thing by ourselves. It's easier that way. It's always been, but I think it's especially a problem now in our day and age. Because if you think about it, you can come to church, physically come to our church building, which is what this is. You're the church, this is the church building. You can come here, or to be fed by Christianity or be fed by God, you can also pull something out of your pocket and listen to what's on it. Read what is on that. Watch what is on that instead. We have the alternative option to coming together as the body of Christ literally at our fingertips. In fact, if this sermon starts to bore you, you could put earplugs in, pull out your phone, and probably read about a thousand better sermons than the one I'm giving right now and be perfectly edified by them. The option is right there on the table. It's been the case for the last 90 years, even if we didn't have smartphones until the last 20. Of course, when you had radio, you could do that. I want you to think about this, right? Before the radio came, before television and the internet, if you wanted to be fed in the faith to learn about God and the gospel, well, you could read a book, but if you wanted to be with people or interact with people, you had to go to one of the physical churches that was in your area, not just you know, in your area, but your close area, right? As far as your legs could carry you, your horse would carry you, or your car would drive you. And that was the way it was to be in an actual physical group, but not anymore. You can listen, you can watch, you can even live stream, engage with people on the internet who are hundreds or thousand miles away, all from the comfort of your living room, all even from the comfort of your pajamas, if you so choose, and all while neglecting the very real flesh and blood Christians that God has placed around you in your community and indeed in your congregation. Now, some might object to this point and say, well, you know, the church is all believers. The body of Christ is a believer anywhere, regardless of being through a screen or not or separated from us by distance or not. And what's more, all of these measures were a blessing for 90 years and on down and indeed even kind of a necessity during the last two and a half, three years of COVID-19. It's all true. But Christ has called us to the church which is the local body, not just the ones far away, but the place where we can gather with the physical body of believers. And indeed, you can learn online. I do all the time. You can learn by listening or watching TV or the radio. I do as well. But you can't be baptized that way. You can't, in spite of what some people say, have communion that way. You can't receive the absolution that way. And what's more, COVID was an extraordinary circumstance. And indeed, though, the things that we did during COVID here at Calvary and other churches throughout the world, those were not introducing just new options and new ways of being a Christian and being fed, but what they were is life support. 
Life support is not something you want to stay on, but you want to go off of it to live and thrive again, in person again. The real fellowship of the church is flesh and blood. It's actuality. It's not through a screen. It's not through earbuds. It's not on your TV. It's live, and it's in person with people around you, people you can see, people you can talk with, people you can know. The church is very real and present, and that's the place where we hear the word, where we receive God's sacraments, and where there are real Christians for us to love and care for and care about. We've been talking about this in the midweek studies we've been doing, but that at judgment, Jesus takes very personally what is done or not done to his brothers, that is, Christians. A gospel lesson I read this morning, it was right there. Did somebody at the judgment, he's asked, did you feed or clothe or welcome or visit one of my brothers? You did? Well, good news, guess what? You were doing that to me, Jesus says. You have showed that you have faith by how you received the preachers and the Christians of the church. But did you not do those things? And the judgment, did you not feed? Did you not clothe? Did you not welcome? Did you not visit the brothers, that is, other Christians? Whoa, you didn't do it to me when I was right in front of you, Jesus says. And therefore, it's right there, you've proven yourself faithless. Jesus Christ is in his church. Every time we're gathered together, two or three, he promises it. I am there among you. He's there in his word. He's there in the sacraments. He is there. He is here in the body, the group of Christians gathered. Have we come to him, loved him, and welcomed him? Have we been with him where his body is, where his word and his sacraments are? I want to be blunt with you. If you remember one thing from the sermon, Remember this sincere desire that I have as your pastor. I don't want anybody that the Lord has given to my charge as the pastor of this congregation, I don't want anybody to be given the sentence of condemnation on the last day. Depart from me, I never knew you. I don't want anybody here to hear from our Lord on that great day I was in my Lord's Supper, but you never came and took it. I was in the absolution, but you did not come to hear it. I was in the body, but you did not come to gather with it, to love and care for it, to love and care for me. We know from another parable in the gospel, another couple actually, that there's all sorts of good excuses people often have for missing the wedding feast, the gathering of our Lord's people. But in the end, the Lord doesn't accept them. That's how that parable ends. They, regardless of how valid of excuses they are, how good of excuses they are, are only really, in the end, bad reasons to stay away from the one source of eternal life. And so we have the warning. And so I'm talking about the warning this morning. And I want you to hear and take this warning for the good that Jesus intends it to be. Show your Christian faith by loving the Lord and loving the place and the means in which he is here to be loved by you. 
Come to church. Be fed in his word. Be fed in the sacraments. Hear the absolution that he's given me to pronounce over you and believe it in person, live. It's here every week. Show your faith by loving the body, the physical Christians that God has placed around you in this county to know and to love and to be with. Love your local congregation. Love Calvary and its members. Jesus is indeed here among us. Among us to be believed, among us to be loved, among us to forgive, among us to save. So today as you are here and always, come and be with him to love him. Amen.